Welcome to the Altruism Unplugged podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Walsh. Welcome to our latest episode of the Altruism Unplugged podcast. We have a great guest today. His name is Jared Silverstein, who is here to speak about his foundation called Puzzle Pieces Squared. His organization focuses on providing autism support for local families in the tri-state area. Welcome to the show, Jared. Uh, thank you, Jerry. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, let's start with your personal story and how it relates to autism and how it drove you to start your organization. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to shorten it up. Um, so my wife and I, uh, we, when our twins were born, um, which was in 2004, uh, we had our twins, Brendan and Jake. And from the beginning, they were, uh, they were premature. Um, Brendan had to spend some time in the NICU. Jacob pretty much got to go home right away. But pretty much from the get-go, uh, Brendan throughout developmental stages was always a little bit ahead of Jake. And, you know, we were a uh, first family of twins. So we didn't really know, like we weren't sure if we should be comparing them to one another or anything along those lines. We really didn't have any charts or anything like we just were comparing them to each other. And we're like, oh, Bren's just a little bit ahead. Come to find as Jake was around two years old, uh, he had some cognitive developmental uh, disabilities. He was doing things at a slower rate. So we started to try to like really look and see what was going on. And it turned out that we found out that Jacob was autistic. Um, so we started to kind of work with uh, early intervention services and different ways to help our son cognitively. And that worked for a while. And then as Brendan became older, uh, we started noticing different things with him as well. And it wasn't until he was seven, but around seven years old, we were at a place at Underwood Hospital and they called us and they said, are you aware that your son has autism? And we thought they were talking about his brother. And they said, no, it turns out Brendan's autistic as well. And we found out that both of our children were autistic, but autistic on two different levels, um, which kind of opened our eyes a lot because we didn't really see all of that as they were growing up. So as we started to kind of put all that, to, put all that together, we started to kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to do? And we realized that there was a lot of therapy and a lot of early intervention things costs a lot of money by insurance. Now, luckily, uh, my family stepped in and helped us out a lot and helped us with the cost. But what we started to realize is there are a lot of families that how can they do this? Because the way that you look at insurance systems, at least back then, was if you make a lot of money, you can cover it. If you make too little money, um, you know, they, they, the state will cover it, but not give you what you need. And if you make the middle amount of money, the state looks in and says you make enough, but that might not, you know, carry over to all the different services that you need. So I really started looking at the fine tuning of insurance and what that would help with families in certain situations. And you got to remember that insurance steps in when you don't make enough. But what about the families that are in the middle? that the government and the insurance and everything looks at and says, 
oh, you have enough, but they don't realize that you have other expenses or that you might need different therapies for your children that the state or insurance doesn't feel you do. So, right, and there may be some sort of therapies that aren't covered underneath insurance, but you know works well and that community knows works well. Absolutely, absolutely. So so I started to really, really research and really look and try to figure out what was going on. And within doing that, I got heavily involved with Autism Speaks with my son, Jake, um, because I'm an all-in or nothing kind of guy. Or as my wife likes to say, I'm an extremist. So everything is all in for me. So when we figured out, okay, this is what's going on with our son, Jake, now, he was in different classes and he was getting involved with uh, different special needs situations. We said, okay, we're going to get involved with this Autism Speaks. So my son registered to do the Autism Speaks walk, and it was in Mount Laurel. And I really hit the ground running, and I raised – we ended up raising the third most amount of money for anyone individually in that walk, okay? And I think one of the only uh, companies – and I say companies because I was an individual – I think home and car dealership beat us. Okay, but we raised all this money and I felt Hence great. Hence the whole all in attitude there. Right. Yourself. And 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 we felt great, you know? It was an amazing thing. And it was weird because the next day I went at the time I was working at a gym and I went into the gym and all these people that had donated to the cause were like, "Well, how do you feel? You know, how do you feel about what you did?" And I said, "You know what?" I really don't know how to feel because where did that money go? Like, where did all that money go? And I started looking up at the time, and I'm not sure what it is now, but at the time, it was something like only 10% went to families. The rest went to research and all that. And that's great. You need research. But I wanted to make an impact now, like right away. Like, I wanted to make a difference. And that's when the idea popped into my head. I was like, you know what? I can make a difference. I'm going to start my own foundation. And I remember I came home that night and I said to Trish, who is extremely supportive of everything I've ever done since the beginning. But I said, babe, I'm going to start a foundation. And she turned to me and she goes, you're nuts. She goes, you're crazy. When do you have time to do anything? Like you work all the time. When are you going to do this? And I started working on it from 11 o'clock to two o'clock in the morning every day. And I was looking at the ins and outs. And I started with a Facebook page, just starting to like acknowledge what it was, let people know that there's going to be something out there for them. And I wanted people to know, like know the knowledge of what autism really meant. And then after that, I started researching, what does it take to start a 501c3? And believe me, the IRS does not make it easy. But I found a loophole and I ended up filing through a small business uh, charitable organization. And that is how I got my 501c3 license. And after that, I hit the ground running and I haven't looked back. Right. And it seemed like along the way, you've had a lot of people say that it couldn't be done. How did you address those challenges and with your attitude and, and how you carry yourself? Well, I'm a very stubborn, self disciplined individual. And I don't like when I hear somebody tell me something can't be done. Um, I'm the type of person that, okay, maybe it can't be done the way that it should be done, 
but maybe there's a way that I could work around it or overcome the obstacle. And that's what I've had to do my entire life. So I kind of took it to the same aspect. I was like, all right, there must be a way to figure this out. And I just kept researching and researching and contacting the IRS and contacting other small foundations until I figured out a way to get it done. Because there's always a way to do it. You just have to set your mind to it. Right. It's a good lesson for everybody, including your boys, um, you know, moving on, you know, throughout their lives. Uh, why is it so hard to start a nonprofit? Well, one of the reasons why I think it's so hard to start a nonprofit is there are so many steps and it is not easy. And there are so many doors that get closed. Um, I remember it was our first year. And I was trying to get us going, trying to really, you know, get us to make a mark. And I would go to different businesses, Target. Uh, I remember Barnes and Noble was one, a couple different places. And I was like, listen, I am having this great event or I'm trying to raise money for this cause. And they were like, listen, we can't help you until you're a foundation for three years. And I, you know what I said to them? I said, I'll see you in three years because that's how I looked at it. I said, you know what? I'll go to smaller places. I don't need to go to the Yankee Candle, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. I don't need to go to those. I'll go to individually owned businesses. And in three years, those companies that wouldn't help me then, they'll help me now because now I've made that mark. So that's the big thing. It's discouragement. There's a lot of discouragement and there's a lot of doors that get closed. But you know what? You have to look at the silver lining, and I believe that you find so much silver lining in starting small. Um, When you're starting small and you don't have anything, you find those people that are like, wow, look at what this guy's work drive is. I remember, you know, I started it, and it was just me and my wife, and that was it. And throughout the years of doing it, people started to believe and started to become part of it. And that is a amazing compliment, but it's so heartwarming that people see what you're doing selflessly. Like you're doing this, you're not trying to get anything out of it. You're doing this and now they want to be a part of it. And we've had some people come and go throughout the years, but I got to tell you, the foundation wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't for the people that stepped up and volunteered their time from the person that took pictures at the gala that we couldn't afford to pay to the teachers that volunteered at the door to our gala last uh, two years ago when we had people that have been in the autism community to restaurants, to businesses, to huge companies like Agile Medical, which is a big company and has sponsored so much, including helping families over Christmas time. So there's been all these different things. And those things wouldn't happen if you didn't go through the negative to get there. And I think that that's big. Sure. So you didn't focus on the people that said it couldn't be done. You turned your attention to the people who were willing to give a hand and and help a grassroots nonprofit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so many, so many volunteers. Uh, not during maybe the year in the beginning, but volunteers for our events and for our fundraising and all the different things helped me sell Sixers tickets for, you know, to help the cause, helped us uh, with a walk, helped us uh, raise money at little health fairs, all these different things all the way up to the gala. And if it wasn't for everybody, even the people just selling tickets, 
to the people just helping walk the floor, to even my youngest selling bracelets. If it wasn't to all, you know, for all of that, we wouldn't be where we are today. Sure. You can't go out alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need a team. You need a backbone. You have to have people that support that backbone. It started off as a Facebook page and has grown all the way to having a gala event. Can you take us through some of the progression of from where it started to where it is today? Absolutely. Uh, we started, we started, like I said, as a Facebook page. And then I took the Facebook page and I remember uh, the next event after that was a health fair run by, at the time, a client of mine's chiropractic center. And it was a health fair. And, you know, we set up a table and we just were just giving information, giving information. And, and that, that day we raised, I want to say it was something like $1,200. Actually, before that, we raised $300 on teal sweat headbands because I ran a gym class, uh, aerobic class that was uh, called Sweat, and we sold these headbands for $300. So we started all the way from those types of things to the following, to we had, to we had a gala, which was at the, I can't remember, it was like one of these community houses. And it was a community house, and we had 123 people there. And we raised about $7,000. And after that, we went to the Morristown Community House and we raised $9,000. After that, we went to the Collingswood Ballroom and we kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And our gala, which was our fourth year, we were at the aquarium and we raised over $18,000. And unfortunately, with everything that went on in the world, we had to postpone our fifth year, which was supposed to be our biggest year, our biggest celebration for the fifth year. We were going to take over the entire aquarium, but that did not come to pass with everything that happened in the year, um, with everything that's happened with COVID and everything else. But we are hoping to come back bigger and stronger and more precise and able to help so many more people in 2022 in person. Yes, yeah, so clearly we've gotten bigger every single year, and I have no doubt you're definitely going to do that. Um, how did you pivot during COVID? How did you raise some money and, and um, because you couldn't get the gala done? Well, the first thing that was so amazing and such a heartfelt gesture and an unbelievable support was when we had to postpone or when I made the decision to postpone the gala two weeks before we were supposed to have it. Actually, I think it was 10 days before we were supposed to have it. When we reached out to everyone asking them, hey, you know, you already contributed for the tickets. What would you like us to do with it? When we reached out to the sponsors, um, so many people, um, I would say over 50% of the people said, hey, listen, we believe in your cause. We want you to keep the money. You can use it for your next gala. You can use it to help families. You know, we gave people opportunities and choices on where they'd want that money to go. A lot of people were like, just put it into your foundation and see what you can do. However, two big sponsors, um, two huge sponsors of ours said, Jared, we want you to use it this year. Do whatever you want with it. We trust you. Come back to us when you need it for the next gala. And I thought about it for a while. And one of the things that I decided I wanted to do is, this year has been a very trying time for my family. So I could only imagine how it was for the P2 families. 
So I decided that I was going to create some sort of gift card for the families, which I went back and I saw that we had helped 18 families since the beginning. And what I did is I sent them all a letter, a card from P2 saying, hey, this is a trying time right now. We are still part, we all start, you know, we are all still part of this family. We are all in this together. Here's a little bit of a monetary amount. Please use it for whatever you need for your family. And I sent it to all 18 families. That is one way that we were able to help because there were so many families that had issues with their children becoming now they're in, they're in home because they couldn't go to school and they didn't have the technology or they didn't have the ABA therapy in person and they needed to have technology to be able to have the teleconferences with the ABA therapist, or they needed respite care because the parents were still working, but the kids are at home. And that was one way that we were able to help. Another way is we were still out there taking applications through our, you know, our intake form and everything. And it didn't come to terms with anybody, but what I was able to do was still reach out to some of these families and talk to them and kind of in a way talk them off the ledge, which is kind of what we do as well as we offer support. So we were still there having a pulse on what was going on, realizing what was going on on our end and knew that it had to be going on with them as well. Yeah, it's got to be a great feeling for those P2 families to know not only are you going to continue to be there financially, but also emotionally as the world changes and you know their situation continues to. Absolutely. And we talked to numerous parents throughout from the P2 family. And some of them, it was just about advice. It was, oh, what do you think we should do? My son's now home. Should we get respite care for him? And at the same time, what do we do? What kind of technology do we get? Or what do you think we should do? Who should we reach out in the two in the school district? So many different things. And that's really when the whole P2 as an organization and foundation of all the existing families and the parents that are all through different stages now with their kids were able to offer support. Yeah, it seems like you're really building more than just an organization. It's more of a community that can continue to grow together and help each other out as needed. As we say, a family. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, So how did you come up with the Puzzle Pieces Squared name? So the way the name came up was puzzle obviously is the universal for autism. Generally, if you see a puzzle piece, the reason why it is that is there's so many different shapes, sizes, different puzzle pieces that fit different things. And that is because the umbrella of autism is so big. There's no one situation that's alike. There's so many different severities, so many different issues, so many different social situations that not one puzzle piece is the same. So that's where the puzzle came from. Pieces was for us because pieces, we are a piece of a family. Okay, we have two, which is where the squared came from. And then the way that I looked at it was I wanted the puzzle piece to bring these families whole. So when you're looking at these people that were and these families that would come to you, they were missing something. They were missing that piece. And I looked at it and said, well, puzzle pieces squared can give you that puzzle piece and can make that puzzle whole and bring your family full circle and everything's okay. And now everything is together versus missing what you're missing. Wonderful. And uh, the, the squared part, so the puzzle pieces squared, uh, what, how'd you come up with the squared? That was my twins, two. 
You know, it was more, it wasn't so much squared as it was our logo as a P with a two on an angle. So it was more to represent my twins. Oh, that's wonderful. So your twins, Brandon and Jake, um, when you first realized that they had some special needs that were beyond your capacity as a family to deal with, what were your first interactions with, you know, within your own family, your wife and, and health professionals and How'd you guys get through that together? Well, it's, it's, it's really, you know, emotional for me to discuss this because when we were uh, first discovering and at the same time trying to deal with everything and understand it, uh, it was extremely stressful. Um, it was stressful because we didn't have the answers. Uh, nobody had the answers. Everybody had their own perspective. Everybody offered an opinion, but nobody was living it like we were. And so when we were looking at it, it, it was very tough on us. It was very upsetting, and we felt stuck. Uh, we felt stuck in our situation. We lost many of friends due to it because our kids couldn't be around their kids. Uh, or be, and and I, don't, I don't blame the the relationships that we lost, it was confusing for us. I'm sure it was confusing for them as well. They didn't, they didn't know how to handle it, but we became very isolated and it was, it was extremely difficult. It was then, that was another reason when I started really thinking, if I feel this way, how does everybody else feel? And I believe that my wife, Trish and I, and eventually my family, who we did not include them right away in all this because we didn't even know how to handle it. Um, but I believe one of the things that helped us move forward was when I started to come up with the idea, if I can't help myself, I'm going to help other people because I don't want anybody else to go through what I did. Seems like that's a very huge part of your organization being a sounding board for some of these families that are going through it and don't have any answers. They can hear it from you that you've gone through it. You've been there. You've felt the same thing. And, you know, you came out the other side better and you're happy and you're doing well. Yeah. And for them to kind of know they're not alone. They're not alone in this. Um, that the reactions other people have around them has happened to other people. That they are not wrong for how they feel that it is not wrong to feel isolated, that it is not wrong, but that we are here to help. And if we can help with that isolated feeling, that that's what we're here to do. And I got to tell you, through all, one of the, the greatest things besides my gala, which is amazing to see all these families and to see the tables grow of the people that we've helped and to see the donors understand you know, understanding what these families feel and to hear these families talk. One of the other things that is amazing to me that I will never forget, and I'm glad that I keep it so close, even in my committee, I'm the only one that does this, is the phone interview when I call these families. Because when you're talking to these families and it's the first time that a mother or father feels that there's no judgment, it's just letting it all out and letting them tell their story. And I'm just listening to them, which is all they want. They just want somebody to listen and understand. And I just listen and I let them explain their feelings, 
Sometimes they're crying. Sometimes they're overjoyed. But by the end, and I know this every time, they're always smiling on the other end of that phone. And you can tell when somebody's smiling on the other end of the phone. They are always smiling because they know for the first time it's going to be different. It's going to be different because somebody understands and isn't telling them how to feel, isn't telling them what to look at. And it's like, oh my God, I'm being heard for the first time. And there's no greater feeling. And I am so glad that I still, as busy as I get, I make the time to listen and make these phone calls. That's that's massive. I'm sure they're always being told what kind of limitations they're going to have, what kind of limitations their their children are going to have, and you kind of give them that light at the end of the tunnel. There, yeah. I mean, if I can tell one one real quick story, just to talk about limitations and what people are told. Uh, we have this uh, one family, a mother, um, who came to us, and her son was non-communicative. And I remember hearing all the different stories from her on how she couldn't communicate with her son. And I remember that we, you know, my wife and I had read that if we could provide an iPad, that we could provide a way that eventually there will be communication of some kind. And I remember when she called us and she told us that her son communicated that he loved her to his mom through the iPad that we provided, through the guidance that we provided. And there's no better feeling than that. And all she was told from the beginning is your son will not be able to communicate with you. And then here's a mom in tears calling us, explaining that her son said he loves her. There's no better. There's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, that's, that's very powerful. Very powerful. And you got to be... Yeah. When you lay your head down at night and you know, you know you've done some good, it's, it's got to be an amazing feeling. I like that I have been able to make a difference. And I say I, and at this point, it is not just myself. Uh, my wife obviously has been in it since the beginning, but the committee that has helped since the beginning and that they understand the vision and that they have come up with ways that we can reach even greater that I would never have even seen because I'm more, I'm more small picture. I try to keep it more close to my heart. But at the same time, they're like, yeah, but if you want to make more of a difference, you have to do this and that. Without the committee, without the volunteers, the donors, everybody that has been in it since the beginning, all of this wouldn't be possible. And they are all what has helped make a difference, even though maybe the beginning was my idea what it has become from an idea is amazing. Right. I've experienced the same thing with trying to build this podcast. From what I thought it was going to be all the way to what it is now, we're only on the third episode, but I've already had so many people that have helped me along the way that I never even saw around that corner. And it's definitely a a humbling feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and because they're helping because they want to help. You know, it's just because they want to make a difference. They want to help you. Right. They believe in what you're doing. Absolutely. So your organization was able to provide an alternative way for that mother's son to communicate with her. Um, what other kind of alternative therapies are there out there that isn't really in that normal lane for insurance that they cover? 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question because there are so many different types of therapy that insurance generally doesn't look at. One that has been huge is, and I'll just keep it simple, horse therapy. The amount of difference I've seen with granting ways for uh, children with autism to start with horse therapy, whether it's touching the horse, riding the horse, communicating with the horse. Animals are a huge part of with kids with special needs. Uh, my one, my, my, my son, Jake, who my twins now, just to give you an idea, they're going to be 17. <laughs> you know, so it's been uh, many years, but my son used to be known as the animal whisperer because the animals just, we have cats, dogs in my house. They just flock to him. He understands them. So insurance companies don't look at horse riding therapy or horse therapy as anything. They just, they look at it as something that, why would you pay for that? Another is uh, food therapy. Uh, you know, different uh, children with autism have texture issues with different foods in their mouth or different uh, uh, consistency of the food or how it smells. Insurance doesn't cover that. Like, you know, you have to be able to prove to insurance why you need something. And with us, it's not that. It's just showing us how it will benefit. And we do our own research as well. But it's showing us how your child will benefit. A big one that we became huge with, musical therapy. Musical therapy is an amazing thing when a kid is uncommunicative um, or non-communicative. They, you know, they, they play the keyboard or they play the strings on the, on the guitar or the therapist working with them that when they hear a certain melody or a certain note, uh, the expression that they get from the children is incredible. So there's so many different types of therapy. And another thing um, that uh, you didn't ask me, but one of the things that our foundation started to do from the beginning, besides therapies for individual children, is we started to get involved with school districts. So we provided for the Upper Darby School District, their entire technology department of iPads for their special needs classroom. We provided for Cherry Hill School District. We paid the entire year for the bus transportation system for their special needs trips to the grocery store, to the zoo, all where they were learning life skills. We provided um, technology, iPads and technology for uh, computer systems for the Woodbury School District. So there's so many different things that we've done besides therapy that we've been able to put our mark on as well. Right. So you're not just working with families. You're working with school districts as well. Yeah. I try to hit one school district a year. And, and it used to be three families and one school district. Last year, uh, the year that we weren't able to celebrate because of COVID, we had hit seven, seven families in one school district. Okay. And do they get indoctrinated to the Puzzle Pieces Squared family the same way um, a small family does? Does, does a school have to enter the same way? They enter as- the same way, but usually it's a teacher. So the teachers of the special needs class that we're talking about, the transportation, they were they are now part of the family. The teacher from the Upper Darby 
her and her husband are actually, I think it's her boyfriend are part of the family right now. So it's, we always allow people, but it's got, there has to be a contact person. So it's not the school district as a whole, even though we might have to go through the principal, it's usually whichever teacher is trying to get the services. Uh, there was another, I, I, I can't remember which school district it was, but we just did it. Um, and the teacher was asking for uh, refrigerators, freezers, and ovens because it was a special needs classroom that was having life skills in there as well. And they needed places to store the kids' lunches and different stuff. And the school district wouldn't pay for it. We paid for it. So if I'm a family or a teacher out there listening and I want to get help from your organization, what do I have to do? All you do is uh, you go to the puzzlepiecessquare.org website. And in there is the Puzzle Pieces family intake form. You fill it out to the best of your ability. It gets sent right to me. And you look to hear from me on the phone sometime in the next 24 hours after. So they reach out. You got to hold them within 24 hours. What's the process after that? Uh, Basically, you know, I've read the intake. I kind of understand what they're looking for. And I usually call and I just kind of, you know, I just want to have a heart to heart with them. I want to know a little bit more about their situation. Sometimes I open up their eyes to something that they didn't even think about that they might want or need. And I just kind of sit there and discuss with them their needs, why. I, I always like to know the demographic, what's going on in the home what, or in the school, you know, and then I kind of look at it and try to make judgment calls from there. And at the same time, you know, discuss with them and really try to figure out how we best could help if it is something that we're able to do. Okay. And how much are the grants that you provide? Our grants, there's no really set uh, monetary amount. Uh, we provided everything from $500 to $5,500. So it really just depends. It's really based on looking at what they need, judging it, seeing what's really going on. And then I kind of talk it over with my committee and try to figure what's the best way that we can make a difference. Okay. And are those grants always attached to specific items or therapies or are the families allowed to, or teachers allowed to use it as they see fit? So I learned early on through mistakes and through my, my general kindness and not looking into it as much in year one. Very soon I learned that I need to make sure it's all controlled by me and the foundation and that we pay it directly. Because what happens is you don't want to give a certain monetary amount to a family with just an open just an open book just spend it on whatever you want it doesn't really work to anybody's benefit so i've learned that let's prioritize let's see what you really need let's try to figure it out and then i reach out if it's technology i purchase it if it's some sort of service i reach out to the therapist and what i do is i take care of it all up front Gotcha. And that's, we talked about the growth from year one, from a Facebook page all the way to what we on year five. Uh, well, technically we're going on year six because we missed a year, Uh, (laughs) Right. but, but, uh, yeah, we're kind of the year five, year six. And, and I want to apologize because I, I keep saying I, and I don't really mean that. I mean, we, as my foundation and as the committee, because 
we all have our separate parts that we do, and we all make a difference through the individual things that we are able to handle and the different ways that we can offer assistance. I say I just as a creature of habit. Right. And, and just to uh, you know, provide you some solace there, from my perspective, you're a very good leader. And I'm sure all the people within your organization know that you appreciate their roles and, and how they help you through it. And uh, you know, being a large part of Puzzle Pieces Squared in general. Thank you. You got it. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of there's a lot of families out there that you're not going to be able to talk to, you know, whether it be in the tri-state area or you know somewhere, someone across the country. What would your advice be to them when they first find out maybe that their children, their son or daughter may have autism and and they're lost? What what would your advice be to them? Well, my first thing that I, at least what was told to us, uh, a very uh, good friend and my, actually my, my children's pediatrician said when we, when we found out that our kids were autistic, both of them, the first thing he said to me, and it really hit home, is you have to mourn your ideas of the perfect child. Because everyone has ideas when you have a child, son or daughter. What you think, whether it's a, a dance, a football game, uh, you know, whatever, playing baseball, um, uh, just different ideas of what you think raising a child is. Everybody's got their fantasies in their head. So the first thing was, you know, try to take a step back and realize that it doesn't have to be that way, that there are joys and experiences that are so far beyond that that you wouldn't experience if you keep that other mindset. That would be the first thing. The other is you're not alone. There are so many families out there that are going through exactly what you're going through or have already done it. So usually reach out, don't become isolated. Reach out to the to different community groups of people that are in the same situation as you because it helps when you talk to somebody that's gone through it or is going through it with you at the time. That would be another. And the other is, I, we are not the only foundation out there that makes a difference the way that we do. You, there are a lot of small foundations out there that I have discovered, that I have become friendly with, that are doing exactly the same thing because the big, big, big foundations, the big companies, they're just too big. They don't allocate where that money goes. So reach out to one of the ones that's in your neighborhood, in your town, in your city, because they are dying to help you. They want to help you. They are still trying to get out there. We are still trying to get out there to everyone. So that would be my advice. I'm not sure if those three things make sense, but that's how I would kind of approach it. No, they they absolutely do. And I'm sure if any of those families or uh, teachers or even are listening, you know, they would they would agree that it's definitely some good advice. All right, so you talked earlier about one of your P2 families that had success with the iPad. Can you go through some of your other favorite success stories through some of the 18 families that you've helped? Uh, sure. Yeah, there are so many. Um, the first year, um, I helped a family. Uh, actually, this, uh, this child became actually one of my clients through my gym and all sorts of different stuff at the time. I, in the original, I helped him with 
he wanted cooking therapy and learning life skills for cooking. It was just that simple. And we provided that, which then turned into actually me helping him with just overall physical activity therapy, uh, you know, taking walks with them, understanding muscle coordination and helping him out. He became actually a great friend of ours. Another that we did was respite care so parents could work. Uh, one was at the time a, a head cook at a, a franchise restaurant and the other worked as a chaplain in, and in the hospitals. So they weren't home as much. So we helped with respite care. We also provided uh, swimming lessons, if I remember correctly, to that family as well. Another that we worked on that was big was a one-on-one aid for a day camp uh, where they wouldn't have been able to go to camp without the one-on-one aid. They needed it for life skills and the camp needed the one-on-one aid, but they couldn't afford it. And we ended up having a great relationship with the camp and were able to send their son there with uh, the one-on-one aid for them to have that camp experience. I'm trying to rattle them off the top of my head. I apologize. Another was the music therapy was big and big one that happens all the time, ABA therapy. ABA therapy happens a lot. Uh, we've helped a lot of families with that as well. Uh, what, what's ABA therapy? ABA therapy is is the therapy that basically it's – it's behavioral therapy in a nutshell is really what it is. So it's applied behavior therapy. And a lot of times insurance cuts you off because it's in the home and they deem when you've had enough. And a lot of times it's too early. So you might need more. They might say, oh, well, we're only going to help you with twice a week. Well, they might need four times a week. So we've helped in that regard and it's in the home which is big because a lot of kids uh, autistic aren't good with changing their environmental settings from going into an office or versus being in their own living room. So that's big. So we've helped with that as well. And there's others too. Uh, anybody that goes on the website, puzzlepiecessquared.org, just click on the P2 family section and just scroll right on down. It goes from current all the way to the past because I'm sure I'm not doing some justice. Sure, sure. And um, I actually want to thank you because earlier this week, as I was preparing for this podcast with you, I had a friend of mine, a brother, really, I call him a brother because he's in the fire department with me in Philadelphia. He reached out to me and told me about a fundraiser that they're doing uh, for the family of Brian Dolan. Uh, The story goes here that Brian Dolan of Ladder 29 on the Sea Platoon, he died off duty in May of 2018. And recently his wife, Laura died in February of 2021 and they're survived by their children, Brian, Gwyn, and Danny Dolan. And the oldest Brian just finished with the air force, just got out and is not only having to deal with the loss of both of his parents, but him and his sister Gwyn are having to take on the task which we all know we've heard from Jared is very challenging of taking care of their youngest brother, Danny, who's eight years old 
and who has autism. And you and I spoke and, and you were kind and, and very willing. You, sp- you said you spoke to your wife as well. So I want to thank her that uh, you accepted um, to be able to reach out to them. And, and you and I together are going to team up and try to help uh, the Dolan family through their strife that they're going through right now. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that's such a, uh, a terrible thing to happen to that family. Um, a tragedy, a very sad and it, it's, it's, you know, I'm trying to hold back, you know, the emotions that I feel by that, but I'm hoping that, you know, with you and I sitting down and reaching out to the older brother or the grandparents that we can see how we can best help Danny with his needs, um, willing to do, and my committee is willing to do whatever we can to try to, you know, just talk to them and try to figure out what is best. And we might even be able to direct the older brother. I, I, I lost his name for a second. We might be able to direct a, you know, a path for, you know, him to take with his brother that he's not even thinking about. And I am happy to offer direction, advice, support, and my foundation is willing to step up and help with whatever we deem would be greatly an addition that would help out. Yeah. And, and on the behalf of the Philadelphia Fire Department, Local 22 and really firemen, you know, across the nation, like we're all a brotherhood and, you know, sometimes we have to reach out outside of, of ourselves, of our own organization, you know, to, to try to get some extra help. And, and uh, we're extremely thankful. And, and I know the brothers will, will back your puzzle pieces squared organization moving forward. We're, we're truly thankful. Um, I'm unbelievable thankful for what all of you firefighters do on a daily basis. So you don't have to thank me. You got it, brother. Thank you. Um, it's kind of good time for what we like to do every single episode as well is to take a moment and take the spotlight off of myself and off of the guest and try to turn it outwards, specifically focused on some people that have helped you along the way, helped you build Puzzle Pieces Squared, or even just helped you become a better man so you could run Puzzle Pieces Squared. I know you've rolled through a lot of names and, and people have helped you out already. Um, is there any more people that you feel like you'd like to shout out or, or give thanks to? Uh, well, wasn't prepared for this one. Um, I, well, first of all, first and foremost, uh, uh, my wife, Trish, is the backbone. Without her, there is no me. Uh, there is no foundation. So there's, she makes things so much clearer for me at so many different times when I'm stuck or, and just believes in me so much and knows that I will always figure out a way. And she's been my support system from the beginning. So there, that is the biggest thanks. Um, my children, uh, you know, Brendan and Jacob and my youngest Spencer, um, they were basically in a way born into it. You know, and they have been my inspiration since the beginning and the amount that they get involved when, as they've been getting older, even my youngest, who is going to turn 12 in a few months, the way that they get involved and they support and they realize what our couple months become before our gala. And when I'm on the phone with the families and all this, uh, you know, they are mature beyond their years at this point. Uh, My parents and my sister for always supporting and believing in what I'm able to accomplish 
and just getting the word out there. And my wife's uh, side of the family as well, her sister and cousin in particular, uh, Stacy and Tara, they have been big instrumental forces in helping us through volunteering and everything else. And then, um, obviously, everybody that's on my committee, uh, Amy, Megan, Chandani, Smita, Dean, Rihanna, uh, I'm hoping um, my wife again, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anybody on my committee. I always tend to do that. If I did, I apologize. All the volunteers that step and give their time and, and effort for the months coming up to usually our gala that give their time and offer their, whether it's stuff through their business, anything along those lines to help out. The big corporations, uh, Agile Medical is huge. Sam Meyer Steel is big. Um, uh, just all the different people that have stepped up and have sponsored, which has made it possible to even have these events. Um, and then the donors, people that have believed in it since the beginning when I went to them and was like, this is my vision and this is what it's going to be. Without the donors, without them, without the friends and family, my vision would be just that, a vision. They've made my vision a reality. Without them, it's not possible. They've opened up their hearts to the foundation. They've opened up their hearts to my family. They've opened up their hearts to the families of P2. And then another thanks that I cannot not say is the P2 families, the 18 families, the school districts that have become instrumental, that took a chance on our foundation, that took a chance believing that what we were telling them would become a reality when they were told for so long, no, when they were told for so long that it's not possible. And they have become our family in a way, our second family. And if I've forgotten anybody else, I apologize because without any of it, it wouldn't be possible. And they have made my dream possible. And for that, I will ever be thankful. Yeah, no sweat if you did forget anybody, Jared. I'm sure on a regular basis within your program, you let people know that they're supported and their role is important. And since today, you helped out the fire department and you clearly show good leadership in your own organization. I want to thank a couple of my officers who've done the same for me. Uh, first being Lieutenant Jay Oaks. He was the class coordinator of 190. Lieutenant Dan Bennett, he was my first officer. And across the floor was Lieutenant Morris. Following that, I had Lieutenant Verbisky, who went on to become a captain. And at Ladder 27 as well, I had Chuck Mikulajewski, who I was able to be a part of his first crew when he got made to a lieutenant. And currently, I have Lieutenant Richardson, who also taught me in school, but is now my lieutenant on the fire ground, which is a cool full circle moment. And across the floor from him is Captain Kieski. And all these gentlemen have different leadership styles but there are a few things they had in common. One of them is they all set a high standard. They were fine with you making mistakes. And as long as you did a few things, you had to own it. You had to take it on the chin. There's no one else's fault. You had to own it. And the second one, if you made a mistake, you had to take the initiative to learn about how you made the mistake and go back and train until you wouldn't make that same mistake twice. 
And another one they had in common was they put the guys first. And that's inside and outside the firehouse. Their leadership didn't stop when your shift was done at the end of the day. If you needed something, whether it be on the fire ground or in your personal lives, these guys stepped up and helped you out however they could. So thank you guys for being good leaders and and helping me form a good idea of what I should be in the future if I ever decide to take an officer's test. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, I have uh, one more uh, thank. I knew I was going to forget something. I if if it's okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, please do. Uh, one other thank you, and it's you know it's from my lips to her ears in heaven is my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother, Mama Penny, as we called her. If it wasn't for her, there would be no puzzle pieces because when my kids were growing up. My grandmother showed such unconditional love for them. It was amazing the amount of time she would spend with them and the amount of and 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 I, I'm not saying money, but the she there it didn't matter what they needed, they got it because they needed it. And that's also where my vision came from from saying, okay, if I can be almost in a way my grandmother was to me and my family. Um, that it would make a difference. And she was one of the most stubborn, uh, uh, but selfless, but amazing, a lovely individual, greatest human beings that I've ever had the pleasure to know in my life. And my kids were very fortunate and we miss her greatly. And we have dedicated certain things to her as well. I want to bring it up, which is why I forgot. We have a, um, a scholarship that is named after my, my grandmother, Eva Penny Silver, that every year provides, and it is only for the specific purchase, specific purpose of a child going to camp on that scholarship, usually with a one-on-one aid. And that we actually rolled that out two years ago at our gala. And we were able to make that something that happened for a child right away. And that was named after my grandmother, for which all this would not be possible. That's great that you're keeping that, that her legacy alive within your organization. It's truly inspiring. And uh, you can tell that she was definitely a keystone in, in, in your life. Very much Absolutely. appreciate that. Absolutely. You sharing that. Thank you. Uh, do you have any other final messages about something you want to get across to our listeners? Uh, sure. Um, number one uh, that I think is very important is we are at a trying time right now, especially the last year of our lives. Uh, 2020 was a rough year for everyone, but it is a lot rougher sometimes for children on that that with autism, uh, whether it's they're trying to cope with technology learning through Zoom or whatever the case may be, just the change of them not being with their teacher in school or the change with their parents being at home or whatever the case may be that has upset that normalcy for them is difficult on families with children with, auti with, with autism. So I think it's important to say that we are here. We are out here. We are helping. I, I joke around and say we're underground because we kind of are. But we're still here. We're accepting applications for grants now. We're accepting families that are looking and struggling. If we can offer advice, support, guidance, 
or even some sort of grant to help them financially in this time. So that is big. I want them to know that. And again, just remember, just go to the website, puzzlepiecesquared.org. Read about our situation. Read about our families. Read about the grants. Read about the galas. Read about the difference that we've made. And we might be able to help you now when you're struggling, when you think no one else is listening. Yeah, that's wonderful. I've spent a lot of time on your website reading some of the messages from the P2 families. It's truly inspirational. Everything you've done here is it's, it's beyond measure you know, the impact that you've had on these people. And, and I'm truly honored to have you on here today. So thank you. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for today. So I can't thank everybody enough for listening to the Altruism Unplugged podcast. If you haven't already done so, follow us on social media. Share this episode, subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to thank Jared and everybody who donates to the Puzzle Pieces Squared organization for living the altruistic lifestyle. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.